welcome to Mandy Carr. <laughs> welcome to Mandy Carr, the casual engineering podcast for the casual engineer. Hello, I'm Josh, and you are? I'm Alex. We're not doing any Mississippis then. No, we're not doing any Mississippis. Um, welcome to Mandy Carr, Alex. Yo. Yo. Um, thanks for listening, listener. If you're listening yeah, to us right this, now. this is mental. We've, we've got some listeners. This is great. You're one of 59 total plays we've had in the last three months. 59 total? <laughs> That's 59 amazing. Total plays. We're internet famous. Uh, thank you for listening. You can always find us at anchor.fm slash mandukar, twitter.com slash mandukarpod, and as always, Ogilvy Racing. HTTP colon backslash backslash <laughs> spotify.com backslash. As usual. And ogilvyracing.com. I always post about the podcast in ogilvyracing.com. Mm. Um, yeah, so thank you for enjoying us. I kind of have to apologise for last episode's audio. I was recording the wrong audio input device, so I sounded Fantastic. like balls. Fantastic. Yeah, Good absolute work. balls. <laughs> Professional. I also sometimes have dogs barking in the background, hoovers roaring, and floorboards creaking. I, so. don't, I don't. It's not an authentic podcast if there isn't one bird outside on a tree just, like, cheeping away. Just having an absolute go at it. Yeah, just, just having a ball. One asshole. Um, so the Mars rover landed. Yeah, that was mental with the um with the actual you know, since uh what was the last one? The Curiosity they landed, wasn't it? Um yeah. in like twenty eleven. Um and I like that was when they um they had the the sky crane concept, which is awesome. If you don't know why they have to use a sky crane, um it's because the atmosphere on Mars is very thin. So um, you can't use things like big parachutes and stuff to to slow you to a suitable um, speed to land. So NASA said, okay, fine, we'll use a sky crane. So it, there's like a small, I suppose, what, what would you call it? It's like a, it's like a, it's like ro- a rocket booster, rocket to speed helicopter out, right? thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a, it's yeah. like a rocket hovering device. There you go, and it hovers above the surface of Mars, and then lowers the rover using. Um, using cables which in and of itself is an awesome solution to a problem (laughs) but i always thought god that's really cool and like the animations look really good but what i'd really like to see is like a pov of that happening what do we have now (laughs) that's what you actually have in high res in like a like a ultra hd 4k this is me lowering onto the surface of mars that is it's amazing it is pretty cool and and it's weird. I didn't. Th- I didn't think about that atmosphere mm. difference. Um, so I'm going to jump around all of our space news really quickly. So obviously, uh, SN9, Starship SN9 of SpaceX yep. had a landing explosion, which is what I have written down in my notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but SN10 had a landing then explosion. Yeah. Uh, did last you? Couple of days ago. Um, did you see that analysis that I I sent you? It's, it's by really Scott good. Manley. Yeah, by Scott Manley. The man, the legend, the Scott Manley. Fly safe. Exactly. Yeah. No, I saw the, I saw the rundown. But hang on. So the whole idea of Starship, just to roll it back, the whole idea of Starship is that it uses drag to slow itself down um, to come to the surface, and then uses very little fuel to then do the last um, acceleration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What well, deceleration down to the planet? Um, does that mean that that's completely not viable for landing on Mars? No, it does because. Um... So what you've kind of got to take into consideration is the aerodynamics of the actual spaceship. So so part of the reason that they... So obviously, if you've got a very large diameter spaceship, you, you can fit a lot of stuff in it. 
But mm-hmm. um, what that also means is that you, you have the starship um, concept where the th- the aspect ratio of the thing that you're landing is is a, a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So you've got the possibility of of using all of that surface for a ablation, so yeah. um, slowing down and getting hot, and then aerodynamics. So you don't really you don't use it as like a lifting body. You're using it as like a Basically yeah, a my, pancake. My first year fluid mechanics uh, reminds me of the fact that a circle is an absolutely terrible aerodynamic device, mm. and like the equivalent drag of a large circle is equivalent to the drag of like an aerofoil a hundredth of the size. You know, yeah. It's um, uh, no, hang on, that's that's not right. <laughs> an aerofoil a hundredth the size of a circle yes a small circle <laughs> there you go anyway so a small circle uh, a small round profile has a as a, a drag equivalent to a much larger aerofoil right right it's all yes. about yes it, there you go <laughs> not to sound like an absolute dick on the internet um yeah so you can use the drag of the fact that you have a round cylinder which is nice and aerodynamic mm-hmm. in a straight line to slow you down as you come down that makes makes complete sense yeah and and then what you could because they put control surfaces on it what you can do is then you can modulate your speed by changing your angle of attack of your um of your of your spaceship and essentially well i suppose you can use a lifting body effect and you i believe it's called no it's not the oberth effect but it's something similar to that um where you can yeah you can actually control your descent just by using your resistance and then um, they do what is known, actually known in the world of um, rocketry as a suicide burn, which is where you wait until the absolute last second and turn yourself vertical and then burn your rockets and come to a stop. Um, so cool. <laughs> Just, yeah, I can't get him actually, out cool. Man. I mean, the, the, I, I think I've mentioned before the world of uh, Kerbal Space Program, which is a, a fantastic space simulator program with sort of like, it's sort of tongue in cheek, but also fantastic. Um, but it is like a, it's straight out of the playbook of Kerbal Space Program. What they're trying to do. All of the um, the fans on Twitter were talking about the fact that the ship does a flip and a burn, which is exactly what they say on the Expanse when you know, they yeah. do a constant acceleration in one direction and a constant deceleration. They flip and burn in the middle, and people were like, "It's real! <laughs> it's a real thing!" Yeah, 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 for uh, sure. Um, and it's. The thing is, is that it, it it's it is the most efficient way of of doing um, a deceleration burn because obviously when you're or maybe not obviously but if you start for instance doing your deceleration burn high in the atmosphere or even like a few hundred meters from the surface you're fighting gravity all the way down so yeah. you have to put in a lot more work to stop because you you're constantly being fought against whereas if you do it right at the last second. Um, you add a higher impulse, but you you're fighting gravity for a lot less of the time, which is yeah, a lot more efficient. The downside is over distance, exactly, right. and then um, the, the 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 downside is, is that it's obviously a lot more risky as we're starting to see in the in the space starship. They definitely they definitely did the burn on SN10 from a higher height. Like if you if you think about SN9, it was like barely just touched the ground when they did the flip and then the burn where yeah. 10 they burnt much higher just to lower the risk um, yeah which, yeah it's more fuel intensive but... well and it was a three engine burn as well with yeah so you've got yeah you, you had the three engines when they flipped and I, I don't know if you noticed but they had the configuration where you've got two engines that um didn't pivot 
and then the one engine that did pivot. And so yeah. um, I think what they could do, where they also had the um, the translational thrusters going with uh, with the hydrazine, is that you can no, that's not hydrazine, it's something else. Um, is that you if you lost one of those engines, you can then do like a, a little translation in the rotational axis and still yeah. maintain that control. So I think that's what they were going for. Whereas I bloody love that. The, 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 the fact that they have reliability issues and so they just change their control scheme to get around it. Mm. Like they're so focused on the objective, which is up, down, land. It's like, okay, cool. In the time period they have, they're probably unlikely to develop big step changes in the engines that they're using. So they're like, well, we've got three engines. One of them's got to be good by the time we get down there. We'll fire all three. We'll see what the accelerometers and the gyros say, and then we'll pick our favorite. And it's like, yeah, that makes complete sense. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you talk about a step change, but the the Raptor engine that they're using is in and of itself a step change in. Oh, the in fact that it can be started and well, the, shut down. The start stop is is a big thing, but the methane, the oxygen, is also a big thing. Um, and and yeah, the, the start stoppiness, the throttleness, because uh, don't quote me on this, but. As far as I'm aware, say um, people take the the Saturn V as quite a gold standard, and it was a very good rocket um, yeah. system. But you, I think the the amount you could throttle those engines was only like ten percent before they burnt out. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas you've got up to, I think it's you can go to sixty percent power before you start to run into a, a burnout regime. So, um, but burnout regime? What do you mean? So. You, you're essentially relying on um, the shape of your... So you, everybody knows what a rocket looks like. You know, It's got a big bell yeah. on it. And you, you inject your stuff in it, you set it alight, and then you just keep feeding in fuel. And yeah. that that's like a self-sustaining um, explosion, basically. Yeah. Well, a burnout regime is, is where you, you can... So you, you turn it on and you generally put in like 90% fuel. And then you, um, you, you turn it up to 100% fuel. And that's how you form your really nice. Um, uh, it's called a Mac cone, but it's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, the really cool like overlapping standing yeah, wave. Yeah, that and they it create. forms a standing wave, and that's that's what you're looking for because it's a really efficient shape. When when you're in an atmosphere, when you're outside an atmosphere, um, if you you look at lots of different rockets, the the bell shape is actually different because the way that the standing wave interacts with the atmosphere is different. But you, mm. you want to set up that standing wave and then you can turn the wick down on your engine because that standing wave exists and it, it will propagate that that explosion, basically. Um, okay. But you can only turn it down so far before that standing wave, those Mach cones, start that to breaks break down. down. Um, ah. And so that's what we, we've seen. So, so the Raptor engine is, is, is really good and it is a step change because... Um, the the different fuel that they're using and and the different geometry allows you to play with that mat cone a bit more, um, which is really good for efficiency because you've got basically got more leeway to play with with your engine configuration and stuff like that. What what we're seeing is that in a in a static environment, there's obviously only so far you can take your testing. So I think yeah. what they're also running up against is that. Um, they're finding that in a in a dynamic situation, as you generally do, um, you've got behaviours which you didn't encounter in your static um, environment, and part of that behaviour is where the burnout is. Yeah, I can imagine you. Yeah, they have the amount of fuel and oxidizer that they can put in, and then they've throttled it down on a test rig, and then they've seen the point at which it fails. But that's without 
di- like vibration and uh, maybe slightly different temperatures and all the lines and everything, and so you get slightly different flow rates. And they're trying yeah. to model all of and, that, but there's like this, re- yeah, because they want to run as close and tight to that throttle region as they can when they're doing their. De- they want to. They want that resolution, right? When they do yeah. their re- their decel burn, um, but sometimes when they run close to that say 60 percent or whatever it is actually it's just outside the bounds of where they've been working and it cuts the engine out and or they just they get like a non-linear reduction in the amount of thrust that they create and, yeah yeah, yeah it and, all goes and also remember that, that the difference in in this dynamic situation is that in in a, in a static situation you've you've got your engine it's usually horizontal um and mm-hmm. it's just burning sideways what we've got here is it's it's vertical which which is fine it's not that much of a change but it's also going downwards um, yeah. so you've got a, a, an air mass moving upwards relative to your engine that affects mm-hmm. the way that the dynamics of your burn go and you've also got to remember that, that oh, these and the ground effect as well would the, be the ground, really ground effect is a really big thing um and you have to remember as well that these things aren't it's it's not like a a fuel pump in your engine where you kind of you, you apply voltage across a pump and then it pumps the fuel is that you've got mm. a turbo pump and the turbo pump is driven by the pressure in the fuel tank so they take the fuel which is pressurized run it through a turbine that is what powers the pump that provides really high pressure that squirts the fuel into the rocket cone right. so um, and th- this is part of what was actually really big about the Saturn V program um, in comparison to, I mean, I'm not going to give a history lesson, but in comparison to um, the Russian program was actually the advances in turbo pump technology, where yeah. um, the Russian, um, uh, which is a, a really interesting subject to go into, but basically they had to use lots of small engines, which is fine, yeah. but, but that was because their turbo pumps weren't as advanced. And a really big turbo pump is something that's quite difficult to to, to get right because they're running at something like um, 120,000 RPM, I think. Okay, and this is what SpaceX are doing, right? And this is what SpaceX are doing because they, they I don't know what the technology is and it's probably secret, but they can throttle those turbo pumps a lot more effectively. But yeah. the, re- the reliability is there, but it's, you see, and part of, I think, is what fed into um, the... The, the rapid unplanned disassembly that we saw the other day is that yep. um, it requires a lot more complicated valves and things like that, and so yeah, there's a lot yeah. more to go wrong. And the yeah, and that cooldown process again is so well. It's something they've never had to do after a landing. So yeah. there you go. Like they just didn't know. Um, yeah, we've done 15 minutes of space rockets, but anyway, I could talk um, for 15 hours about space rockets. Yeah, it's it's very exciting, and uh, I just love it, and and. Yeah, people always um, think that it's you know it's sci-fi, but I genuinely believe um, within our lifetime we will see space rocket scrapyards, and we'll get to dig around in some of these components. I genuinely think that that'll be a thing. You're um, you're really really hoping that's going to be true. Aren't you? I'm really excited. I want to I want to be like five thousand credits for your turbo pump for a space X series three, and people will be like series three so fucking old and i'll be like she's a good girl <laughs> like, it'd be great on tatooine yeah they'll never they've never been as good as the series five um but yeah no it'll be on mars or something like that <laughs> just casual <laughs> oh no i'll just be on mars uranus <laughs> space spaceship scrapyard on uranus yeah yeah why not why not anyway oh, yeah uh, i'm bloody loving it i'm enjoying it i think it's probably the most exciting thing happening 
on Earth at the moment, uh, I would say, from engineering perspective. Um, if you're into Eurovision, probably less so. Are, are you talking about like Eurovision, like the song contest? Because that is actually going to be... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually. Because I've, um, I've not got any notes prepared for Eurovision, I'm sorry. Segway, why is the price of Volvo 240 so expensive at the moment? Uh, going up. they're retro cool. Right, it's just, I, I was like, okay, so I... I'm going through a, I don't know, what, third life crisis at the hold moment? On, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why right. are you looking at the price of Volvo 240s? <laughs> so, uh, I, I roll this back, right? I'm going through a bit of like a third life crisis at the moment. And I've been looking at, obviously, the all road cars in the UK are going electric by 2030. Like, they won't be able to sell right. anything that's not electric. And all the manufacturers are going electric before that by about 2025. Even Honda, you know, my yeah. fave. Again, electric by 2025. So I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to own a rear-wheel drive V8 saloon car. And this is like a bucket list item for me. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I can buy a V8. Like, the Rover V8 is really prominent in the UK. Yeah, yeah, loads and, of support um, for that as well. Big community. Yeah, and that you can buy a 4.6 relatively cheap and mm-hmm. put a big Holly carburetor on it and you've got like a classic V8 um carved and i was like cool i just need like a i need a car to put it in in a couple of years time that's yeah. cool so i started digging around and i was like oh you know actually my car of choice would be a mark three cortina two-door but you just can't get Mate, hold just of them. open the wallet and pour it all out yeah i just don't have that kind of money like realistically i could stretch to maybe two grand for a donor car maybe one day yeah and I, so I was like, oh, you know what? A couple of years ago, I was looking at a Volvo 240 for an estate just as a daily. I'll have a look at 240s. No. Yeah, they're mental. <laughs> if, if, if you want a saloon, so if you don't want an estate, they're six grand. That's it, yeah, full stop. The, six grand across the board. The thing is, though, is that the, the numbers have gone gone down. The, the availability has gone down. And mm. um, I think I've mentioned before my previous obsession with Volvo 240s. I'm, I'm in remission now. In recovery, um, but yeah. So the saloons are are they they used to be not as desirable as the estates, but they are now yeah. as desirable because again they're yeah. retro cool. Um, so so yeah, but the the ones the trick the trick the trick if you want to get a good Volvo two forty, please please tell me. I will tell you. Uh, no, is is they are around. It's just they're not really for sale. Things like Auto Trader and eBay. You're look that those are like the ones that people know are worth the money. And most of those are really overpriced anyway. Um, But they are available, but it's, I mean, I I would never, I don't know. I don't think, I I, I don't think the the Volvo 240 four-door saloon is actually a very good car. The two-door saloon, you could talk to me about the 242, but that is incredibly rare. In the UK, I, especially. Yeah, I just—I don't think I'm ever going to own any of these. It's just quite—it's it, a first-world problem, um, but it's like a little bit depressing because I'm just like, oh, I, you know, it's the Americana dream, and I just don't think I'll ever have it. But in reality, what I think I'm getting is itchy with the low cost. Is what yeah. I want is the low cost on the road, and then yeah, you don't need another will, project. <laughs> what will spawn from the low cost is like a thousand projects where I'm like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that, and once you can drive something, it just changes everything. But I think I'm just, just getting itchy. Oh, actually, this is quite a good segue into Boat World. Um, you bought another boat. <laughs> I, I've bought half a boat. Half a boat. Um, okay, that's always a good idea. So so my very good friend Ben and myself have bought what is probably 
No, I don't see. It's not the Volvo 240 is sailing dinghies. It's probably the V6 Sierra four door of okay. sailing yeah. dinghies, and it's a Laser 5000, which yeah. is a 170 kilo two man twin wire trapeze asymmetric boat. Is it hundreds? Is it that heavy? It is a big old bus. That's why <laughs> I, I think it's. I think it's 170 kilos. Yeah, it's it's a. Big old, it might be 140. I'm going to now um, fact check myself. That is a crazy amount of weight. While Alex Googles, I'll come up with some equivalent weights. So, yeah, over 100 kilos is. Well, I, I build laboratory robotics and these things are heavy. And like 100 kilos is like the, the heaviest machine we build. <laughs> so, yeah. you're, actually, you're going to buy a boat that's almost it's, twice yeah, that. So, so it's 170 kilos. 16 foot 5 long, so 5 metres, and then with the wings extended, it's 10 feet, just 10 feet, so just over 3 metres wide. Wow. Big old bus. But yeah, uh, so so what we've actually bought is one boat that doesn't have any fittings, and um, the remains of a second boat that they cut up, but they've left all the bits of fibreglass that had fittings on. So, right. so, so, you, we've got... so you haven't bought a boat, you've bought a project. Oh uh, yeah, you but a boat. It's, it's, well, I mean, it is a boat. It's like 1.2 yeah. boats. But it's on a trailer, it's got it's got everything there. We've just got to take all the rigging, all the fittings off the fiberglass bits and put them onto the boat, do a couple yeah. of little fixes, and then we will have 170 kilos of battleship. Why do you want a 5,000? I feel like I've sailed one of those before. You've probably sailed a laser something thousand, probably a yeah. four thousand, which is like a, a one wire one. So um, I, we... I single manned a big laser back in the day once. Probably. That was it. Yeah. That was like the creme de la creme of what they could offer at UKSA. Yeah. <laughs> back in the yeah. early two thousands. Here's a big laser, Josh. You've done a great job. Enjoy. And it was okay to sail. Yeah. Um, I think I just missed. Um, you know what? The best thing I I'd sailed was the Dart 16s, which are super old now, right? Like the, the still catamarans. around though. Still around though. Yeah. If you're interested, says the uh, sailboat sailboat drug dealer at the corner of his mouth. <laughs> They're quick, really quick in a straight line. It's like, a cat, very very it? quick. Yeah, uh, I loved that. Um, but you want a two man? That that's not a single man. Um, yeah, you. Could, I mean, you want like a Hobie cat if you want a one man something. Um, but uh, no. speak to me. So, <laughs> speak to me. Let's take this offline. Um, no, so so we've always had the aspiration that we want like a a really big dinghy. So mm. we were talking about something called a flying Dutchman for a while, which is like twenty foot long. Um, yeah. uh, but they're a little bit rare. And then we were looking at um, a uh, an Osprey, which is it's got a symmetric spinnaker. It's only got one trapeze. It, it's kind of we were like mm, yeah we might get an osprey in fact we almost bought one last year um but uh coronavirus happened um and then we were looking at something called a jolly boat which is uh, an 18 foot firefly um which um i'm not going to go into it but it's awesome um and then we were talking about uh, like stripping it out um putting like a carbon fiber deck on it um a big like international 14 rig um and then turning it into like a twin wire speed machine but um the problem is is that the only ones of those that are available because they were made in like the 50s and 60s are either like museum spec in which case i'm not going to start cutting it up or they're like actually rotting 
do you think that maybe you have an addiction? No, like, no, no, no. So we're addicted to you a already concept. Own, you already own two boats. Uh, two. What? How many do you well, own? I've got... You've got the Firefly, I've, you've got, got the, the Firefly. RS. No, Firefly, the OK. OK. Oh, Firefly, I've, OK. I've got, and... I've got the other Firefly, that one that I sank like five times. You still own that? Oh, yeah, that's mine. I, did, I thought you sold that. <laughs> no, no, I swapped it for some sales. <laughs> I didn't know. The, the really tanky one, like the really heavy one. Yeah, the one that was over the, the measurement limit of the scales when we took it to the But you did all the work on that you painted and everything. No? I didn't know. The we green never... one. Green? Didn't you own one that you. I thought you sold Oh, no, that, like that, a... one, that one I uh, I sold for very cheap. And then when the man took it off the trailer at his house, it um, fell apart. Yeah, because because I I am um, I uh, this this is a history lesson, but yeah, because a couple of years after getting rid of that boat, um, that was your first firefly. That was my first firefly, uh, Maud. Um, I I emailed him and said, "Oh look, mate, like I, you know, if you still got the boat, um, I'd be interested in in maybe getting it back if you haven't done anything with it." And the guy said, "Yeah, I'm really sorry, but um, it got burnt because I took it off. I I undid the ratchet straps and it fell in half." Like opened like a book, it just split yeah. down the middle and fell in half, um, which isn't surprising because it, it was on its last legs. Um, so I, I haven't got that one anymore. No, I've got um, what was called renamed the Shitter um, mm. that we sailed at the 2012 Firefly Firefly Nationals. Oh, you do own the Shitter, yeah. That's yeah. the one that you wanna you wanna put glitter paint on. Yeah, it's gonna be called ro- ro- it's gonna be called uh, rolled in glitter, and it's gonna come out of the shed once a year, and it's gonna be the. Um, Regalard Vuck Yacht Squadron's 24 hour race yacht. Um, show pony. The show, it's not going to be a show pony. <laughs> um, it's going to be a robust sailing dinghy. Um, no, I've, so I've got that, and I have just purchased um, another Firefly, but that's going to be a very brief ownership. That's going to get tarted up and sold on. Um, mm. All funds towards my um, OK Dinghy Worlds campaign that may or may not happen this year. Um, I'm hoping and... it happens. You're, I, so I obviously usually we do a project update, but your OK looks amazing at the moment. Like you, I can't believe you taught yourself to paint to that standard. Like it looks fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty pleased with it. Um, the paint, I, I could have done a better job on the paint. I'm really pleased with it as a a first go, um, mm. but it needs about three times as much paint putting on it because it's very thin. Um, yeah, but it's light. That's what I'm telling myself. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So so no, I've got that. Um, and now I've got half a laser 5000, but the concept of the laser 5000, hear me out, right? Yeah, sell it to me. So, two guys, best mates for like 20 plus years, nearly 30 years, right? A big ass dinghy going around the country, just doing the most ridiculous sailing events we can find. Tent, beer, big boat, driving around. That's what it's going to be. Is the 5000 very applicable to lots of racing series then? Well, so what there is, is that there's there's actually a series of like um, sort of weekend long sailing events. It's called the Great British Sailing Challenge. Okay. And it's things like, um, uh, is it Con- No, Oldswater in the Lake District, which is a really big lake, uh, really long and thin. There's an event called the Lord Burkett Trophy, where um, you basically race around this giant lake and it takes you like 10 hours or something. Um, and you That's just like round the island race. Yeah, you just like do do that for the day. It's like a weekend event, and then there's some racing on the Sunday or something if you aren't too hungover. Um, 
and there's things like um the the three rivers race in norfolk mm. which is a we're not quite sure how the 5000 is going to work on the three rivers race because basically you start at the center the sailing club that's at the center of these branching rivers and then yeah. there's checkpoints at the end of all of these rivers i like the, so you say what you sail up and then and then back down, down to the beginning up, and, and then, then you down, go up a different river and back down but there's bridges over all of the the rivers so you have to like sail up to the bridge drop the rig row underneath it pull the rig back up and sail off <laughs> that's amazing yeah um and hang on drop the rig yeah so so there's loads of boats um up there on the broads which are designed to do this so so the mast, mast down the mast is stepped on the deck and it's in something called a tabernacle so right. basically what you do is you you have like a, a, a quick release system on the forestay yeah. You can watch videos on the internet. It's absolutely amazing. I want to do that in a PK. Are, I reckon I can do that in a PK. You can do it in a PK if you want. I could rig but, a PK. But there, there are like actual worry. yachts and they've got really tall masts because they're designed for inland sailing. So yeah. obviously you've got lots of trees and then the wind is above the trees. So they've got really yeah. tall rigs with really high aspect ratio sails. And they literally like... Like they're coming up to a bridge at full speed. They just let the main, main halyard go... The main yeah. just streams down on the deck. They let the forestay go. It drops drops onto the boat. So the mast drops onto the boat. They go underneath the bridge and they pull the mast up, pull the sails up, and carry on. <laughs> and like cool. it, it's like a proper event. And like people yeah. gather at the bridges and they're like cheering you on and they're chucking beer at you and yeah. And all yeah, this yeah. Stuff. Well, shout me when you do that because I I'll go up with a yeah a camera and um, some some beers and it'll be a good day. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, yeah. It's but it takes place over twenty four hours. Because yeah. the rivers, it's like Le Mans. the rivers are actually really long. So yeah. you start at breakfast on the Saturday, and you finish. You've got until breakfast on the Sunday to finish. Wow, that's cool. That's a really cool activity. I yeah, like pe- people do it in yachts. They do it in dinghies. Um, like everything from like a a wayfarer to mm. like forty foot yacht. It's the weird thing about the UK, right? Like cars are really inaccessible in the states you can build a car and in most in most states you can get it registered really easily or like barely at all like mot it's like how it used to be in the 90s yeah and then off you go now there's like so many holes and loops to jump through yeah in the uk you can get a boat throw it on the water and off you go and it's just like so cool well it's it's yes and no it is this is actually it's actually quite funny that you say that because accessibility is a is a really massive subject in sailing at the moment yeah. because it's it's perceived as like a very posh man's sport. Um, yeah, I don't think that's true though. You guys definitely, you guys definitely push the limit. Yeah, yeah but the thing <laughs> in terms is, of how posh a man you can be to go sailing. This, it's it's funny. Like you can talk about the vernacular of certain things, but but in mm. sailing, generally there's there's what I would describe as two types of people. There's yachties and boaties, and mm. like yachties are are the sort of people who who do make the sport quite repulsive to a lot of people and i totally understand why because they're very arrogant and it must be the same in the car world where you know people want to flash their cash they want to show off their wealth um yeah and and that's a symbol yeah yeah that's that's the big symbol of of a a lot of the perception the public perception whereas Mm. i think we are kind of on the opposite end where we're boaties where we like boats we like messing around in boats we really like racing but ultimately it's about you know can we just should we just do something a bit crazy and yeah. and see where we get with it and it's like doing events like this where you sort of you know you do it for enough years i mean i've been kind of on and off the dinghy circuit pretty constantly for about 10 years now so like 
there's nothing really daunting about chucking your boat together, putting it on the back of your car and going somewhere and doing something. Um, yeah. And actually, the amount of money that it costs you once you've got the skills and the proper tools and yeah like you do need an investment in time and and tools but i mean we're buying this five thousand for four hundred pounds um between two of us we might need some more rope so maybe a hundred maybe two hundred pounds in rope i need to buy a trapeze harness um (laughs) and then you know we've got the sailing club memberships we've got the tow cars so it's like it might cost us between two of us maybe six hundred pounds so this is my issue with the Volvo 240s, just to, to bring it back around in, yeah. in full circle, right? So I don't think going to track days and building engines on the cheap and tools and stuff for cars are that much more expensive than boats. Mm. But the cost of the cost of cars and especially hobby cars a hobby car is very different than just a car because because of the way cars are built these days hobby cars are usually cars that are like easy to work on etc the cost of hobby cars has gone up so much that the bottom end of like the car market has basically just dropped out so back when our older brothers were at uni so a good 15 years ago the 50 pound peugeot was still a thing you could pick up an MOT failure car for £50. And you know, that could take you... If you took that car and you put the work into it, that could take you to Wales national level rallying, right, if you oh, wanted wow. to. Oh, wow, okay, right? yeah. I was yeah. about to say so, something a bit different, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so the you know the, the initial upfront cost was very low. Um, and over the last five years, we've just seen an exponential increase in hobby cars because they're disappearing, right, uh, and it just means that it, they're just not there anymore. And I think a lot of people aren't going to buy mo- more modern cars of the same car pr- sort of price range because they're harder to modify. Um, yeah, and well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I've got a friend who bought, I think he got a £200, is, is it like a Skoda estate or something? Anyway, it was a very cheap car, um, put hardly any work into it, and then went and toured around Europe with a few of his mates. And that is still doable. But like doing competitive things in that price bracket, so expensive. Yeah, just not it's not a thing, is it? I can't even deal with the fact that you you have to pay to do competition in cars. I, I like obviously it takes effort and there's people and obviously it costs money, but it's kind of a bit like of an insult after you you spent but, like but, I mean, you spent thousands of pounds on like all of the safety gear and stuff, and then they, you turn up and they're like, "Cool, three hundred to five hundred pounds, please." And you're like really <laughs> like i just i've already paid all of this to get here and i think that's what it is it's that it's that base level cost anyway i could moan and complain about cars forever but yeah um, i think i think yeah. though it's it's i mean this is again the accessibility in in all these kinds of sports as a recreation um because the i mean if i want to go to for instance the firefly nationals this year mm. is um i think about 300 pounds to enter but for a week yeah, but that's the thing is that you get included in your entry is six days of sailing plus um, use of a sailing club for a week in what is usually a very nice seaside town. Um, mm. You have to pay for your accommodation. If you treat it like a holiday and you say, I'm gonna, I'm basically going on a sailing holiday, actually, I was about to say it is, you know, there is an entry fee but you get quite a lot for your entry fee. And the thing is, yeah. is that there's people who, it's a different structure though, because being part of the association, I see all of this this background stuff. 
And there are actually quite a lot of people working really hard to get the best value for money on that event to make it attractive to people. Whereas I suppose a track day is, is a bit different, isn't it? Because it's sort of like you turns up, you pays you money. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to moan about track days because I don't do them anymore. Um, it's Yeah, I really enjoyed Snetterton when we did it back in 2017. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, personally, I think it's a fool's game. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of money, a lot of wear and tear. Um, and I, I think there's a lot to be said for sports cars, as we've said before. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, maybe I'll change my mind at a later date. Um, so you... I've been messing around with dinghies. You bought another one, which is just yep. outrageous. But, Looking forward to you sailing that. But the current the current project is almost at an end. Somebody needs to three D print something for me. Joshua. It's on my to do list. It's on my to do list. Well, make it higher on your to do list because I need it done. Um, so next to me at the moment is the three D printer. I've so I've completely changed desk, and I've because obviously like all of the working from home. Yeah. I was on a crappy IKEA desk. Hold on, is which that a, was really is that small. a pot of paint behind you? Yeah, so we've just painted this room. Good lord! Uh, recently, yeah, oh yeah, we're doing we're doing the rizzle dizzle. This is the full deal. We're, we're cleaning up the house. Uh, but as part of cleaning up the house, I was like, right, I'm getting rid of this crappy IKEA desk, and I'm getting a nice thick wooden desk. So that's what's in front of me at the moment, and it's bigger. So the three D printer is now on that desk, so it's sat next to me. So three D printing things is less of a hassle now. I don't need to like set it up. Um, so yeah, I'll get around to it. Don't yeah. worry about it. Anyway, so I need to do. Um... I need to do that. I, I was actually. I'm sorry the, if my house is uninteresting to you. Well, that's, I'm just trying to keep it on topic. You know, no, nobody <laughs> wants. Nobody. It's an engineering podcast. We don't want to hear about your DIY. Um, I I would love to. I just. Oh, it's got a bit personal, isn't it? Um, it's just yeah, it's just like a whole horrible. Dismissive. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Last episode. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Welcome to the last episode of Mandy Car. Um, uh, no. So so I've. Uh, uh, so I've got to, that's the, your 3D print, you're very kindly going to 3D print me the sail number plaque for the boat. I don't, I don't the know boat. I am now. Well, <laughs> you, you might do. Um, and then I've got to fit, um, basically it's a, it's a, a ro- it's what's called an una-rigged boat is the okay dinghy. So it's got an, an unstayed rotating mast. Um, and what that means is that the mast sits in the boat but it doesn't have any, apart from like the control lines and all mm. of the things that are attached to it, which could arguably, if the boat capsizes and I'm sailing along, it's not going to, the mast is not going to fall out. However, the OK Dinghy Association in, in their world-class rules um, quite rightly decree that you have to have a mechanical device that stops the mast falling out of the boat if you turn upside yeah. down, which is fair. Um so uh and and there is a foreseeable scenario where you turn the boat upside down the mast becomes unseated from its foot um and you turn the boat back up and it breaks it could quite rightly happen so um i've just got i've got some carbon plate that i made up for a different project um as you do um and uh, i'm just gonna make up a little little thing sits on the mast collar stops it going upwards so um i've only got those two little jobs to do um and then i'm going to take it sailing and then i'm probably going to replace the um so what i've done is uh what i like to do with my boats is i fitted it with what's called continuous control lines so um you you're sitting on one side of the boat as you're sailing along uh, to keep it upright um and then so you've got the the control lines for the boat the little tweaky bits that let you change the sail shape and stuff they're led out to either side which means that um traditionally you end up with 
two ends of the same piece of rope and then in the middle is where they're doing stuff well i don't really like that because it means that um you can actually run out of adjustment on one side um yeah yeah because it's like continuous yeah well no because it's not continuous (laughs) yeah so um what what i've done with the okay is i I, you basically you you splice the two ends of the rope together so it becomes a loop Um, yeah yeah and uh how do you do that Oh well, it's it's um it's fairly simple actually now with with um, modern uh, ropes because um, there there are ropes specifically designed to uh, do this. So what I'm using is something called Marlowe XL Control, and it mm. means that it's a two part rope where the inside of the rope doesn't actually carry any load. Um, it's basically just a filler, and then the outside of the rope is a plat of um, yeah. polyurethane and uh, Dyneema, so it's really strong. Um, but you can take the inside out of the rope. It doesn't lose any strength. And then what you've got is a hollow cylinder. And so you can, if you do this at either end of the piece of rope and then feed them between each other in a certain way, you end up with a piece of rope that's locked together. I've put some locking stitches in it just in case. It's like Um, a finger trap. Yeah, it's exactly a a Chinese finger trap. Exactly the same thing. And and so uh, you, you end up with a continuous loop of rope um, the one tiny problem with this is that you end up with, um, if you pull the control line on really tight, you've got lots of flappy rope flapping around. So yeah, yeah. Um, you then have a bungee take up, which which essentially pulls it taut. Unfortunately, I've only got four mil bungee and it's too tight. Um, <laughs> so I need to get some two and a half mil bungee, two mil bungee and remake up the take ups. Um, can you do some me luxury some, problem. some pictures of all of these lines and stuff so I can put them up on ogleyracing.com because otherwise there's like a lot of descriptions of what these lines look like but (laughs) i'm all about so there isn't a single shackle on my boat everything is soft attached it's all got soft shackles um it's all handy bits of rope that hold things together and the rope chafes but that's fine i can replace bits of rope um you don't end up with bits of metal flopping around and breaking stuff so yeah i'll take some pictures and put them up um and yeah, the you... shackles usually mash up the deck, don't they? <laughs> yeah, so so what I've got, um, I I've used all Dyneema soft shackles. Um, yeah. I even made up my own Dyneema. What does a Dyneema soft shackle look like? Um, it's essentially a a little loop at one end and a diamond knot at the other, um, and then they're fed. The, the loop is fed through itself. Uh, I've just googled it. So it's, go. it's rope on rope, right? It's rope on rope. So... Yeah, and then you do a diamond knot at the end. And essentially, yep. a diamond knot tightens as you pull on it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, you, you can Google an image, um, but I've got those holding everything together. It's all like I've been doing this for a little while now, and I know what I like things to look like. Yeah, um, you're. I, I completely get the whole deal with rigging. So rigging is just like wiring a car. Exactly. It's like the you, same. you do it once, and you're like, next time I do that, I can do it better. Next time I do that, I can do it better. And there's like a sick satisfaction from from getting it done and it looking right um but you know it will wear and tear and eventually you'll be like oh i could do that so much better next time so it's like a continuous job i completely get it it's it's it feels good yeah yeah for sure and the thing is is that i um so i started my i I think i got the okay actually about a year ago um Mm. and and i got the boat sailed the boat and then went none of these things actually work they're there like all of these control systems are there but the dude that i got it off basically said look i haven't done anything to it the guy who had it before hadn't done anything to it all the way back to 1997 when the boat was new 
basically it had like a little bit of paint applied and they'd renewed some ropes at least you knew what you got everything was original yeah yeah. um and so and so i looked spent basically nine months looking at every single new boat that was around and Mm. then going that looks cool i can do better than that that's interesting and then i've chucked it all together in the way that i like so so no doubt i will go sailing and decide that it's all crap take it off and do it again um when did you last sail like with covid you can't have been out September last year, I think. Yeah, exactly. I say this is about, this is part of the reason you're probably going mad. It's about six months. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we're 29th of March. We can go out now, so I'll probably take the day off work, um, and then hopefully I'll have a boat space at my new sailing club, um, and and jobs are good. And yeah, and I really I'm really looking forward to taking it out because there's a number. Of, well, there's probably one or two weak points in the OK, um, which I I want to. Um, stress test um, see if it's going to break or not um, it's not going to break it's like flexibility and bulkheads because they're fiberglass and I've got metal yeah. things attached to them and I want to see and if you've done quite a lot of backing and stuff on those pieces yeah. as well I've seen I've seen the work you've done you know with carbon plates and stuff glued in the back and it's like, fiberglass. it makes sense it's fiberglass, fiberglass plates. It's fi- it's fiber- yeah. if, if, if the international association asks it's fiberglass okay cool it's, it's, it's like, black it's all- fiberglass it's black fiberglass. It's all stiffening. Yeah. Um, it all makes sense anyway. Um, like if you're putting more material into a boat, it's not going to make it go faster. It's going to make it go slower. Well, th- that's that's the thing, though. Is, I mean, I, I've I've actually had this conversation with some people because I've put um, grip on the floor, and mm. it's like I don't know the. I think the grip hexagons weigh about three hundred grams in total, and yeah. some people said, "Oh, that's." That's a bit of weight that you don't need, isn't it? And I'm like, well, yes, but what's it's faster? It's quality of life, right? What's faster, yeah. having 300 grams on the floor and I'm not flopping around like a wet fish or yeah. not having 300 grams on the floor and every time I do a manoeuvre, I just fall over? Yeah, I always think that in the car. Like, I don't have a... Um, so I don't have a pedal stop underneath my feet and it really, anno- it really oh. annoys me, right? So, like, yeah, you press the throttle pedal and you have nothing to lean your heel against. Yeah. Um, or the brake or the clutch, and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm probably going to put a bit of aluminium angle in after IVA because uh, that's you know, a sharp edge or whatever um, to to lean your foot up against. And it's like every time you put material in like that, you add weight to the car. But ultimately, if I can you know be more um, consistent with the way I brake and use the throttle, then I'll probably be on average quicker. So. I think I think that's exactly right, and I think it's about. Um... It's about muscle memory, isn't it? Because yeah. you're essentially saying, how can I facilitate my muscle memory um, so that I'm more consistent? And consistency and, is well, the key, isn't it? Anytime you put your foot across the deck and you don't get grip where you're expecting grip, you're, it will take you out of sailing the boat, right? Exactly. And I think we've, <laughs> we've talked about it before yeah, yeah, we in, talked in about episode this one. Um, it's huge. Yeah, it, it's really important so that you're... Um, and it's the same in driving a car... Is that you? You know, you need to be in what you're doing, not thinking about it, and anything that takes you out of that experience is slowing you down. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's the same with the continuous control lines because you don't want to have to worry about if I pull this on, actually, am I going to run out on the other side? Yeah, I don't want to have to worry about that, so we'll just make them continuous. And you know, it's um, it's all about it's iterative development. <laughs> do you do you just uncleat them on one side and then you can just clear it on the other? It's like a so cleat. you you adjust it yeah. and then you cleat it. Yeah. And I actually have something called cleat keepers, which are um, 
so instead of using um i may have already spoken about this before instead of using something called cam cleats which have yeah. moving parts i've used clam cleats which have no moving parts but the problem is is that it's difficult to um keep them uncleated yeah, um, yeah so and you can look up the design listener you look up the design of what i'm talking about because it's incredibly difficult to describe um they now have something called cleat keepers which um is just a, a useful little plastic jaw and then you pull the line up and it's uncleated you pull it down and it cleats itself so nice. these lines you adjust it you cleat it or you adjust it and you leave it off and it stays off um but good practice is you adjust it and you cleat it and then once you've done a maneuver and you're on the other side of the boat, you know that everything on the other side is cleated, so you can adjust to your heart's content. Can I just take a quick, quick break, just to say to people, if you're still listening to this podcast at this point, uh, yeah, we've just done almost thirty minutes of dinghies. You're our people. I just oh. really appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, thank you for listening this far. And I mean, cause... if if anyone wants to contact me, I, I am uh, at Hoglet on. Um, Hoglet with an, an, a zero instead of an O on uh, Instagram. Take a look there. There's um, a lot more detail about the, the random little bits of rope that I've done. Um, and I'm always more than happy to talk to people offline about um, you know, bits of rope if, if you're interested. There's actually a dude in um, uh, North America who's trying to very interestingly put um, work out a really easy way of putting a small sail on his canoe. He makes these really cool... Um, that's very uh, cool. Oh, well, kayak, actually. He's putting it on his kayak. Um, well, and you, know, you follow this guy on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. We, we chat back and forth. Um, cool. because Or you can follow us on twitter.com slash mandukarpod. We have two followers. One of them is called Renaissance Man. He posts funny stuff, and we've chatted, and I like him. And the other one, I think, is a Russian bride. So, oh, fantastic. Know, <laughs> two followers on uh twitter.com slash mandy carpod i would love she, some followers who've actually listened to us just just out of curiosity is she after <laughs> a um a rich handsome um like western husband no she actually messaged me and she's uh looking for a, an old uh wooden dinghy so if you could get, <laughs> get back to her <laughs> i don't know it's just one she, of those people that oh she's follow- she's looking for hot sex is that what she's <laughs> No, it's it's uh, you. Know, they're like a bot. You know, they're like they're yeah. Hello. I don't know what the objective is that of that is right because you can get an account with a lot of followers and then what you just use it for political like gains. I don't know. Like, I have no just... idea. I've literally if, no idea what they're trying. If if the Russian bride that you follow on Twitter starts spouting anti-government propaganda, like is that something you're going to be like? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really. I really dig what she said. Like, I don't well, get it. Well, I think the psychologists surmise that that um, men are yeah. are fairly simple, and that if they see a stereotyped um, attractive lady yeah. on the internet, yeah. and then the attractive lady starts telling them to to vote for a certain political party, then they might yeah. be more inclined to believe her than say, "Oh, I don't know, some um, pasty Russian dude with glasses." Well, she's following us. I'm not following her, so maybe yeah. we can get her interested in cars and boats. <laughs> Exactly, I'm open. Tatiana, so. if you're listening, <laughs> buy a Firefly. Buy a Firefly. Move to the UK. Get a low a cost. There you go. <laughs> oh, the last time we spoke about the low cost, I've done a fair bit. Oh, done yeah. A fair bit. Yeah, we've done 52 minutes and not even spoke, spoken about the low cost. Come on, give me the low <laughs> That's time. Fine. Yeah, well, uh, I worked out since last time I've 
done things such as a fuel filler tether, so you know you don't use lose your uh, fuel filler, a steering cowl that took loads of effort, nose cone mesh, IVA covers, bits and bobs. So I've done loads. Sorry, of can you talk pruning. talk me through a steering cowl? What's that to the the everyday? It's the plastic bit that goes around the steering column. All right, where'd you steal that from? A uh, Ford Fiesta Mark Four. <laughs> Because um, that's the column I use, so there you go. Oh, right, I had okay. to, I had to buy two pairs, so you got like a top and bottom clamshelly thing, and uh, I had to buy two pairs because it was too small. So I had to cut one and shape it, and lots of fiberglass and filling, and then some vinyl. I'm pretty happy with it. There's so much of this stuff you have to do for IVA just to pass all of the internal um, sharp edge tests and stuff. Mm. So I've been doing a lot of that. A lot of 3D printed covers for the front suspension for the exact same external sharp edge tests. Um, So the front bodywork's all done and back together and um, it's got wheel arches on now and all of its IVA bits, so I'm really happy with that. I also finally bought a grease gun. So this is something I never owned. Oh, that's it's actually quite an essential piece of kit. (laughs) Well, if you've got rod ends on your car or any spherical joints. If you've also got a trailer and you need to re-grease the bearings. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, really, yeah, really useful piece of kit. I really like it. So you have these little um, nipples, hello, uh, on all the bearings that you do, just poke, poke the little sharp end in and yeah. then squeeze the gun. On the nipple, and, and then, it re-greases everything. It's amazing. And then all the grease pours out, and it's like, oh, that's... Yeah, it means you're not buying bearings and stuff all the time. Yeah, that's actually something that I need to do on my boat trailer, so thank you for the reminder. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, yeah, especially given that that gets really wet. So, <laughs> yeah, that's... That's worth doing. No, um, the trailer, not the trolley. Oh, apologies. The trolley is just a plain, like, like plastic wheel on a plastic on steel. Plastic on steel, because that is that's not getting any grease in it. That is an environmental disaster. <laughs> yeah, I guess it doesn't do any mileage, right? <laughs> yeah, it does like ten meters. <laughs> ten meters. That's a fair point. Um, but yeah, I'm onto the rear bodywork now. So <laughs> mileage on my dinghy trolley. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Dinghy trolley for sale, only two kilometers. <laughs> Um, sorry what what were you talking about quite sensibly no it's right I'm doing rear bodywork at the moment I'm not that entirely I skimmed over all the low cost stuff because it for me it feels a little bit like it's a little bit box ticky at the moment it looks fantastic it all coming together but it's very much just the long road to IVA Uh, it's just just bits and pieces although I did um, I had to spin it round because obviously I had the front end uh, towards the kind of working end of my workshop garage so I had to spin it around to get to the back and that meant driving it around the neighborhood a little bit and um, it was just a nice little reminder of the fact that it's a car and not just a thing yeah, yeah. Um, and it's driving really well it smokes like a chimney when you first start it up which um, I really need to run the engine in and check that that is that isn't just, a long is that just shoot. oil past the rings yeah um, oh wait is it I, white smoke or black smoke Everyone always asks me this. It's grey smoke. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, is it blue smoke? No. Oh, that's such <laughs> a useless answer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but if I pull the plugs, uh, one and four have a little bit of oil on them. So, Oh, that's fine. It just needs to be run in, doesn't it? Yeah, and two and three are very clean. Um, so I think those... And those two were the worst bores when I rebuilt the engine. So I, I genuinely think a bit of run in oil... Uh, we'll when we do the 
mapping at the airport will um, will do loads of wide open throttle to begin. Oh, with. when's that? Uh, hopefully late April. We'll see. I'm booked in a weekend. Uh, so about I'm yeah, keen. I'll call you. I'll call you. Uh, so about two months time. Ladies and um, gentlemen, I'm, we're going to take the low cost to the bakery and grab some donuts. <laughs> I hope so. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was nice to drive it around, and um, yeah, it reminded me that it, it, yeah, it's a cool little sports car that I could drive. And um, it, I put it on auto tune uh, just because the map in it at the moment is a complete question mark, um, and I'd played around with the tables a little bit in between, and it auto tuned very quickly. Like it started to drive much better, even in the you know, sort of five minutes that I drove it around. Yeah, around your little cul-de-sac. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm, I'm excited, but um, I've been. It, we're at a weird point in life at the moment with the pandemic, and it's like. I think I've managed to master the art of curbing my enthusiasm. Absolutely. <laughs> so what you're hearing out of my mouth right now is me just curbing my enthusiasm about anything. Because um, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I'll get it together and we'll drive it and we'll map it. But if for any reason that engine still smokes like a chimney when it's warming up, I might have to pull the engine out and rebore it. And I'm like aware of that, and I'm like, so curb my enthusiasm. It's okay. It will be all right. If that's all I have to do to the car, like if all the other IVA work is done and everything's good, that's fine. And it's just this really weird process of just being like, don't get excited about anything. I think we've all mastered the art of um, stifling our expectations somewhat recently, haven't we? Exactly. Like I just, I'm in a weird position. But on the other car subject, uh, I'm waiting to get the charger installed for the Nissan. That should get installed this time next week. Exciting. At the house. Uh, but I've been screwed around by three electricians. So I will pose this question. Why are electricians so slack? I think I, I I don't know. I mean, I've generally had quite a good experience with electricians, but I think oh. a lot of them are a little bit lackadaisical because they've got usually got quite a lot of work and it pays quite yeah. handsomely. So yeah. they can afford to sort of forget what they're doing on Wednesday, even though it's Tuesday night. It's weird. It's very weird. It's definitely a luxury. It's like if I had an important meeting to go to on a Tuesday afternoon and I just didn't turn up to it. Like I would quite rightly get my ass handed to me, yeah. but if you're a, if you're if you're an electrician who over text promised to come and look at a house on a Tuesday and you don't turn up, who's gonna have a go? You what the yeah. customer? Especially well, if you're self employed. Electronics done. Oh no, sorry, I was on another job. Yeah. Have, have you have you heard of a calendar? <laughs> um, anyway, it's fine. At least they're turning up to do it in a week's time. So I'm looking forward to driving that more once it's chargeable. So yeah. So hold, busy. hold on, where do you have to take it to charge it now? Well, we can charge it at a plug. Um, well, like 240 volts. Yeah. Amazing. You literally just plug it into a wall. <laughs> but, I still um, can't believe it. you can just plug your car in. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, um, it's pretty slow charge uh, when you plug it into the wall. So we want to get an outside charger where we don't have to run a lead into the house and uh, you basically take the charger off the wall and plug it into the front of the car and then the car will charge itself overnight based on its timer. Does that mean if I came to your house in an electric car, are they universal? Uh, so yeah, they, there's two connectors, a type one and a type two and um, pretty much everything in Europe is a type two connector. So yes, essentially you can plug in um, and they charge. So the fast chargers in car parks uh, are DC 
and the the chargers that you have at home tend to be AC, and so it's all done on board on on the inverter in the car. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But yes, is your to answer your question. But we're only getting a three point three uh, kilowatt charger in, which is sixteen amp. It's it's all that our Nissan can charge at, but you can get much bigger, quicker chargers. Sixteen amps. That's quite a lot of amps. Yeah. Well, our wall charger only pulls uh, ten, right? So that's like a washing machine. I don't. Yeah, I don't really get it. I'm just like ten amps. That's so much yeah. current. It does sound like a lot, but the welder probably does 10 amps, right? It's on a 13-amp socket, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But imagine running the welder constantly for four hours. <laughs> like, that's, that's kind of a lot. Hello! <laughs> yeah, although uh, saying that, yeah, some of the... Yeah, I don't know. I've got this, like, really weird sort of concept of power because, like, my, like, my experience is, like, you know, you're doing like physics and it's all about like milliamps and stuff. And then you're doing yeah. like radars and it's all just like, how many megawatts is this? Yeah. And so I'm just like, what is normal? <laughs> I don't, I have no idea. It's hard to get a feel for it. I've got a, I mean, we went through the Nissan last time, but like I've started to get a feel for like what numbers mean in electric cars in terms of like kilowatt hours of energy storage and what that might mean in terms of like miles and things like that. But um, yeah, it all does feel like huge numbers, like for a 400 volt battery. It's like, it's a lot of volts. Hold on, that's 33 12 volt batteries in series. Yeah. yeah, but then you'd have in parallel with that, a whole bunch more battery packs to give you range, right? So you reduce the current draw on the whole lot. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> anyway. Gen- I'm genuinely amazed that electric cars exist. We have been talking for over an hour now. That's uh, it's just probably going to be our longest podcast. Um, it's mostly dinghies. <laughs> I like boats. I'm really sorry. Actually, I'm not going to apologise. Yeah, don't make an apology for that. That's no problem at all. Um, so, thank you for very much for listening. Thank you very much. It's been listeners. it's been an adventure, and we mean that from the 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 deepest part of our dank heart. depths of my heart. Dank depths of our hearts, because um, yeah, we just. Generally, when we chat to each other, we just talk about the exact stuff that we're talking about on this podcast. Um, we're yet to do a dog-based episode. Um, we do have the conjoint love of dogs. I have two dogs. You have two dogs. We could talk. Um, we could talk about dogs. Let's not do. It, let's not do it now, though, because that's like probably a two-parter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it is. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. You'll hear from us again in a month, two months, three months, whenever we feel like. When, it. Whenever we've uh, got some material. I mean. Yeah, we are, I think, going to be picking up the two, the 5,000 on the 20th. Yeah. So there might be some anticipation material, but there's definitely going to be some, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into material. When it says, oh yeah, it needs a small fiberglass repair. And I look at it and we've got to start cutting chunks out. That's going to be a good one. I mean, I wasn't going to say, but... It's going to be fine. It'll be fine. What's the worst? As Ben always says, what's the worst that can happen? It's going to be fine. I'm going to fade out on that. <laughs> so there we go. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks very much, Chelsea. Bye-bye oh. now. It's been a I think we should fade out. <laughs>